Park. It's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for book number 50. 50? I keep saying that. It's amazing. The Last Dance by Ed McBain. An 87th Precinct tale about murder, funnily enough, and flipping plays and theatres again. (laughs) Uh, So you will have heard us discuss it on the main episode, I'm sure. Unless you only listen to these ones, which would be weird. Uh, Yeah. But we'll do our usual roundup of the book cover designs, uh, tell you about the additions that we've got, and uh, then get stuck into a little bit of contextual stuff from the year, space year 2000, mm. 2000 AD. That was always the year when you read those books as a kid, that there was going to be tubes going up to the moon with big yeah. lifts in. It's it, it seemed so far in the future, even when it was like one year in the future, it still seemed unimaginably far in the future. Yes. I mean, when Pulp sang Let's All Meet Up in the Year 2000 in 1994 or whatever it yes. was, it seemed really far in the future. Yeah. It's like, yeah, so when you're reading those sci-fi books, we were probably written in the 80s, but you'd be right reading them as a kid, say, in about 1988 or 89. It never occurred to me that. They have to get a bloody move on with with, with these things, aren't they? I've not seen any construction work for these sky tubes. You know, the, the only hover car I've seen is in Star Wars, and that's curiously made in the past. About <laughs> the very far the past. very path bar past. Yeah. yeah, so it gets quite confusing when you think. What about year it. did the first 2000 AD comic come out? Seventy. Ooh, um, late seventies, wasn't it? Seventy-eight-ish, I yeah, think, something like that. Same pedigree as me. It is. It is always very strange of growing up with 2000 seeming like such a big shift, and then you get there, and really, it's not. You know, much, you know, technology is amazing the way it changes and develops. Um, but I think because everything became very household and domestic, like the internet, and it's the sort of advances in the stuff in your pocket, rather than huge. Like global changes, mm. like a spaceport on every corner type thing, which the books and literature and films suggest is going to happen. Actually, all that happens is cumulative effect of buying this electronics over and over again. Everyone's got a copy of Encyclopedia Britannica in their yeah. pocket, mm. rather than can go to the moon in an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, if only. Lovely moon holidays. Not sure which is more useful, or yes, less useful. <laughs> right. <laughs> Time will tell. Well, yes, indeed. <laughs> Covers of the books, then. I'm going to hold up the US hardback edition here, and okay. um, <clears throat> steve can describe that for right, okay. the listening public. Oh, it's, it looks well. Mm, crikey. <laughs> well, it says, The Last Dance, Ed McBain, in profiled. It looks like... Stainless steel lettering, like somebody's made. Like punched Ed steel. McBain, yeah. not punched, maybe even just like actually, then welded on or something on like a scratched stainless steel surface, and then a novel of the eighty seventh is punched on definitely, and the last dance is punched, but Ed McBain is in profile, attached, and then behind it looks like a blurry. Well, street scene, maybe, is that? Well, music, uh, theatre, maybe? Yes, well, I'll just show it to Morgan so you can see it there. Oh, I see. You might notice that the picture on every single edition, it's the same stock photo of a street in Broadway, I think, or just off Broadway. It's difficult to tell from mine because the writing is, but Morgan's is a bit clearer somehow. Yeah. 
Yeah, so different, certainly. Yeah, it does look very... It's sort of blue steel. Mm. Oh, <laughs> as yes. It were. <laughs> blue. Yeah. Yeah, very blue steel. And to be honest, we're not going to say much different to that because actually, other than the layout and, and colours thing, this stock photo that they've used is going to be on most of them, except for the US paperback, Ooh. which Morgan will describe now. Okay, so it's a uh, um, cobbled street... Um, Slightly eerily lit as if by uh, neon um, on on wet cobbles. Suggesting theatre land again, suggesting maybe? Suggesting theatre land, absolutely. And then uh, at, at, at the silhouette of uh, with a long shadow of someone uh, walking through the night, perhaps to commit some nefarious act. Who knows? Yes. Probably going to use Rehypnol on someone, I'd have for all so. I know. Yeah. So, you know, these will be all like that. And then the Italian one will be a man hanging on a radiator or something like that. <laughs> well, Very we'll literal. see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so that is, that's slightly different, that one. It's like these cobbles, yeah. The UK hardback edition, which uh, is also what Morgan has in his hand as well, because that's what you've got, isn't it? It is. Uh, I think mine's a book club one, so it's a bit mini compared to the, yeah. the proper hardback, but still, yeah is basically the same stock photo, but it, uh, slightly more of it's revealed mm. than on the front of the... Uh, it's, it's the street in New York with the music box theatre on it. And it's just people outside of that. It says, The Last Dance, the new 87th Precinct novel, Ed McBain. Blue is the sort of overall colour theme for these things, blue yeah. and white. And then the paperback edition is what Steve-O and I both have. The Last Dance, New 87th Precinct novel, exactly the same thing, except for a, a little quote from Newsweek at the bottom of it. So to go on to the more interesting <laughs> ones, um, I'm going to attempt to describe, whilst putting it down on the table, the Japanese paperback edition, yes. which is a Hayakawa pocket mystery book, as we've been talking about in these recent ones. It is a... It's a peanut. It does a look like, quite a lot like a peanut. It's like a big brown peanut <laughs> with 87 scratched into it. A walnut. A sort of red, pink, and orange stripe in there, and a black stripe as well. I sometimes we can get something figurative oh. out of it. But I don't think I can on this one. Um, can, can you rotate it to see if anything? Ooh. Ooh. Sorry, got very exciting Ooh. there. Skip Ooh. to the next one. Sorry, Steve. No, what, what could that be? I'll share them as as usual. But uh, these, I love these Japanese ones. They I really cool. wish they'd just put out all these ones again with no, the Japanese covers because it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a walnut kind of shape, isn't it? It will mean something. It'll have yeah, oh, yeah, some yeah. purpose to it, because they are custom-painted, aren't yeah, they? Maybe that's a, a representation of Euston. <laughs> I've been there quite a lot. It or, does look like that. Uh, or the representation of the British High Commission. <laughs> maybe that's the moustache. It could well be. It does look a bit moustache. Bris- yes, bris- I'm struggling with that one a bit. Yeah, But it looks very visually striking, nonetheless. It does. But the Italian edition... Oh, here we go. I'm afraid it's just that. Oh, oh no! Ah, oh, let us down. So it's, not got a, it's not got a giallo Mondadori style. So it's, it's a coloured version of this photo. So, yeah, it's the same stock photo, but in colour. I was so. sure we were going to see Andrew Hale hanging from, hanging from that peg yeah. or whatever it was. That's very sad, really. Yes, it's 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 very. It says the new uh, crime novel of the eighty seventh precinct. Ooh, go back to the. Um, oh, 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 what? Oh, maybe is that something to do with all the pizza? Oh right, but the Japanese one because mm. all the other pizza spilled all over the place at the scene of the shooting. Could be, could be. Although pizzas are brown, are they? 
Depends what you have on them. I suppose. Uh, but the I've got a French edition, so the the Princesse de la Cité edition, which is La Dernière Danse. Le de- Don't know why I said it in that stupid nice. accent. Let's have a look at that. Okay. This is just a nighttime yeah. tower block. What's that red blob? With some red on it. I think that just means blood. A blood, bit of blood. blood in that. A bit of blood. Yeah. So even our, our favourite uh, Italian edition has gone very normal. It's really sad reviewing these when you think back to how awesome they were. Yeah. Obviously the 50s and 60s ones. And then like the 70s ones were quite clever, weren't they? Like a bit yeah. wacky. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, all yeah. of a sudden they just. And we enjoyed go... well. We enjoyed the pan editions as well for all their baffling literalness. Yeah, like even the ones symbolic which are and kind literal of, at the same time. Even the ones that are actively bad are at least fun. Yeah. When, when did they go like really shit? Like in the, <laughs> in, the, like the... in the in the nineties, basically. Yeah. Or maybe they're very normal. That's now. what bothers me. Well, they, they they go to clearly zero effort and expense. Yeah, yeah, it's like is, there's no craft to them, is like, there? Get the you know, I, I could come up with that in about an hour. Yeah. Get the intern to do the, the the cover of the new Ed McBain before they go on their lunch. Yeah, well, and the reason I know it's a stock image and not something specially shot is because it says cover photographs, Tony Stone images. I looked up Tony Stone images. It's just now part of Getty Images. It's just a, a stock. Somebody's thing. just uh, yeah uh, theater New York theater search and then. Yeah. Got an image, and then uh, paid Tony Stone his three hundred dollars or whatever, yeah. and then stuck it on a load of books. Yeah, so it is a shame, and really. The Italians stick it in paint uh, at least. And given that the British paperback edition is in New English Library, and New English Library, when it first existed before it became part of Hodder, and they revived uh. it, was proper pulp. Yeah, and, you know, nasty, nasty stuff. And so they should have been doing them in like uh-huh. old school style for anything with New English Library on the side of it, but nope. Do we need to huff them? Yeah, well, he's gone straight in. Oh, sampling different sections. Page one hundred and sixty-three. Crease page one sixty-three through one sixty-six. His nose is so well. It's because I'm in. I'm in search, I'm in search of, of a. I'm in search of an odor. <laughs> One out of ten for odor. Yeah. Well, they get now a book that's twenty-one years old can smell so little. No. But relatively we're, speaking to the rest of the series, everyone is closer in time to us. It smells as little as the same level of plausibility <laughs> of the book. Yeah, I think I'm on a one out of ten a on mine as well. Negligible Let's smell. The, uh, yeah. Hardbacks any better. N- negligible. Um, I'm not getting Plausibility. much. No. no. Ah, dearie me. Oh, well. McBain's least ordered <laughs> entry <laughs> in the canon. Uh, as some of the reviews said at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the least pungent... Uh... Yeah. The both... The book both stinks and doesn't stink. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, it there you go. Really stink, it doesn't stink. No. I know we were a bit mean on the scoring, but... But as we've always said, you know, a, a McBain 5 out of 10 is a lot better than many writers 5 out of yeah, 10. Very true. You know. It promised so much and then just goes... Very, Unravels, very, doesn't very it? Yeah. daft, doesn't it? Anyway. Right, well, let's, like I say, this, this book came out on the... Well, like I said in the main episode, the book came out on the 12th of January 2000. So I've used that to test the charts, the top 10 singles charts of the UK and... Mm-hmm. America. So, as usual, I am going to run this down. So, bear in mind, 12th of January 2000, we're only a couple of weeks after 
the Christmas holidays yeah. and the turn of the millennium. Oh, right. I've got, I've got one. Uh, Cliff Richard, Millennium Prayer. <sighs> it's not in the top ten. What? Is it one of these that rocketed right up to the top and then rocketed right out after all was the Cliff Richard one, fans? Wasn't it? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, but by the 12th of January 2000, it was at number 12 in the UK charts. Oh. I think all of his fans will have bought it the first week, won't they? And yeah. then, um, yeah. I think it was out over Christmas, wasn't yeah. it? So, yeah. Um, Willennium by Will Smith. Not on my, <sighs> not in the top ten at this point. Rubbish. Again, that might have done the same thing. Um, I suspect it would have been somewhere in the top twenty. It'd but be somewhere I... in the vicinity, wouldn't it? But yeah. Yeah. I saw them looking at the album list before, but were Chumbawamba quite uh, prominent in the year two thousand? <laughs> was, was that 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 era? My goodness, yeah. top thumping. Uh, yeah, was that? Well, uh, probably. I just don't. I don't care for Chumbawamba. As I'm choosing to call them, because no, I don't think they've got your, the right is vowel. It, is it in your list? Is what I mean. Uh, nothing, no single at this point. Anyway, I'll go up the list from ten to one in the UK. Mm-hmm. So at number ten is that hip young artist John Lennon with Imagine. Mm-hmm. I think it's still unfairly maligned. Every time it's played, people start going, "No, no, Imagine, oh no, rock stars saying this." Well, shut <laughs> up! It's <laughs> bloody John Lennon's Imagine. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, at number nine. Steal My Sunshine by Len. Oh, what a tune. That's a bop, isn't it? It sure is. Um, Number eight, a new entry from the Pet Shop Boys with You Only Tell Me You Love Me When You're Drunk. I can't remember that one. Yeah. At number seven, Barber's Adagio for Strings by William Orbit. Oh, yeah. I vaguely remember that existing. So that was a very famous piece of, of classical music that people knew from particularly for his use in film soundtracks. But it, William Orbit being an electro producer, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, it's somewhat better known than Orbit's Adagio for Strings by uh, Barber. Yes, um, by A. Barber. <laughs> and just did it in the spare time between haircuts. Uh, six, Back in My Life by Alice DJ. Uh, no? no? I don't no. think so. Number five, Kiss, brackets, When the Sun Don't Shine by Venga Boys. <laughs> How would you describe the Venger Boys to a, a youthful audience these days? Who might these days who might not know who they are? Well, they, they, they had a bit of a revival actually, didn't they? They're, they're, they're the the uh, the soundtrack to the the European sort of anti-fascist movement these days. Oh, blimey, that's a that's a um, you learn something on these podcasts, don't you? The Venger Boys, the Venger Bus is coming were they, they to Euro, tear down these Euro, institutions. Were they Dutch or there's some kind of Euro pop kind I'm of? I'm going to say they're Dutch silly pop. <laughs> Dutch silly pop. Very, co- very, co- very colourful. Yeah. Very yeah. daft. Very very daft. Four to the floor bass drum. Yeah. Lots of noises. Funny synth noises. Very tongue in cheek. Yeah. Big. Just big daft songs. Yeah. Very summery. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Probably never charted in the US. I I wouldn't... I would be quite surprised if if they'd... uh, If I read out the US top ten and it's all Venger boys here. (laughs) Yep. That would be good. Um, Anyway, yes. Number four was Say You'll Be Mine, Better the Devil You Know, double A side, by Steps. Mm. Girl and boy group. Currently making a comeback. Yeah, one of the last Pete Waterman successes, I guess. Yeah. Um, hence the Kylie Minogue cover that's one of those two songs. Yeah, they they, they mainly did covers. Mm. They, they were 
reasonably harmless, weren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're fine. Uh, basically fine. Made a career of BG's covers, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it, yeah. Uh, number three, Two in a Million and You're My Number One, another double A side by S Club 7. Oh, oh yeah. Right, yeah. You're My Number One, I think, is that, that like a, a bit of a sort of Motown prestige? You're my number one. Like, yeah. like that sort of thing. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think that was the significant hit out of those two, wasn't it? Um S Club 7 were formed by... Fi? Were formed for... It wasn't out of a talent show thing, was it? No, it was, it was a, formed it was for a, a TV series. Yeah, like, yeah, kids kind of... They um, were the monkeys of the year 2000. Very much so, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a version going now which has two of them in, I think. Uh, Bradley and Tina, I think. And still sort of S Club 7 in spite of... Or doing of, the student unions, probably. Uh, probably, yeah. yeah. Well, mm. number two in the UK was... Re-rewind the crowd say Bo Selector by Artful Dodger featuring Craig David. Yep. And um, at number one, this is such a wet bloody song. (laughs) Another double A side, in fact. I Have a Dream and Seasons Uh. in the Sun by Westlife. Oh, God. Could you get two (laughs) drippier covers? Really? It's just, yeah. Westlife had hit after hit after hit, didn't they? They did, yeah. yeah. Didn't they break some record for like consecutive oh, number I, ones? I think or so. Yeah, it was just they, one after another, after like. and just so formulaic as well. Yeah, they were a series of very successful haircuts. But they came, and all those then just disappeared again, didn't they? Yeah. Pretty much. And I, I think they they do some like like some other boy bands. They they do a combined Westlife and Boyzone kind of thing now, don't they? I think touring. It's no muck busted. No. Right, let's go to America from 10 till 1. So ten uh, number 10 in America is Bring It All To Me by Black, B-L-A-Q-U-E. Ooh, no. No. Uh, number 9, I Need To Know by Mark Antony. Presumably a modern person, not the person from uh, <laughs> Roman times. Need um, the bass player in Van Halen. Uh, Michael Antony, that would be good. <laughs> Uh, but at number eight, something topical to the time of release, Old Lang Syne okay. by Kenny G. Oh, oh, nice. Smooth. Yeah, so this is on its way down out of the charts. So yeah. that, that, was quite a big hit. that was a big hit that would have been in America. Uh, I think we probably got off lightly with Millennium Prayer. Maybe did, yeah. Uh, number seven, Hot Boys, with a Z, uh, by Missy Misdemeanor Elliot, featuring Nas Even Q-Tip. I, I, I don't remember that, but it sounds amazing. Actually. I know, it does sound quite good. Yeah. Uh, number six, My Love Is Your Love by Whitney Houston. Oh, yeah. Number five, I Want to Love You Whitney Forever. Whitney who, sorry? <laughs> Whitney, Whitney, Whitney Houston. Whitney. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yes, Whitney Houston train station. Yep. <laughs> For trains to York, Edinburgh, and other places. Uh, number five, I Want to Love You Forever by Jessica Simpson. I don't remember any of her hit songs, no. apart from the cover of These Boots Are Made For Walking. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. At number four, Savage Garden with I uh, Knew oh. I Loved You. Those two uh, different noises there. Australian <laughs> middle of the road. Drippy nonsense. nonsense they're they're yeah. another, but I can only really remember like two songs, I think. The, they had quite a lot of really big hits, didn't they? Yeah, they are, I can't remember what it's called, if you were to say it. I would, uh, there's, there's To the Moon and Back yeah, yeah, and Truly the, Madly Deeply. To I the think. Moon and Back yeah. in one of those tubes that Steve was yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, with them, maybe just a one-way ticket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, another catastrophe. They've shot past the moon. 
At number three, Back at One by Brian McKnight. <laughs> Brian McKnight. He oh, sounds, sounds like funny. on the cover of all those vinyls you search through in charity shops of stuff that nobody's ever going to buy. Ever. It sounds like you should be playing like fullback for some kind of second division football club yeah, in 1976. Bri- <laughs> Brian McKnight, Carlisle United, <laughs> yeah. left back. Um yeah, I don't know who that is. Um, no, never heard Do you know of what? If they're one of our listeners... Sorry, Brian. <laughs> how, how are you spelling could... Brian? With an I or a Y? An I. Classic Brian. Brian McKnight. Yeah, sorry, Brian. Yeah. I'm sure he's listening in. So awesome. uh, Smooth is at number two by Santana featuring Rob Thomas. Oh, yeah. Matchbox 20 again, you see. Oh, yeah, there, there we go. And at number one, What a Girl Wants by Christina Aguilera. Oh, yeah. Lovely. So, very again, very different charts Absolutely. in America and the UK. You know, ours is full of... Uh, little teen appeal sort of mixed yeah, uh, boy of bands and things Euro pop a bit of UK garage yeah. which obviously didn't really do anything in the States yeah and yeah according to Wikipedia McKnight is most recognised for his strong falsetto and belting range oof oh blimey that's, we'll have to listen to that at some point right so anyway that was music and we'll come to our particular choices of albums in a little bit films now of 2000 I've got the highest grossing films of 2000. Oof. I mean, you can have a guess if you want. Was there a Bond out? No. Uh, no. Uh, what did I ever saw before uh, that would have been high grossing? Uh, Gladiator. Yes, yes, oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, it's certainly films that people will know anyway, so I'm going to start from number one and work down this time. Go so on, the then. highest grossing film was Mission Impossible 2. Oh, All right, yeah. I mean, I love the Mission Impossible films. Mission Impossible 1 is very good. Mission Impossible 2 is one of the worst films of all time. I can't remember which ones I've seen. The plot of Mission Impossible 2 makes about as much sense (laughs) as as The Last Last Dance Dance by Ed (laughs) McBain. Yeah, I can't remember Mission Impossible 2. I mean, I think they sort of recovered from the misstep of a couple of them and then started Mm. making... It got good again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's... Maybe it's just me, but I'm sure that's like the worst one. That might be the nadir of it. Hmm. The fact that they're still making them now. Doesn't have John Voigt flying a helicopter down the Channel Tunnel, which the first one does. Well, which is obviously... Essential for any film. Yeah. Well, really. Number two was Gladiator. Yeah. Uh, number three was Castaway. Castaway? Yeah. It's the, 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 the Tom Hanks one. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Still never seen right, that. No, I was, I'll tell you where I was. I because, think I know what you were Because about. I was thinking that... I was about to say that... Uh, Gladiator was Oliver Reed's last film, and then he said Castaway, and I thought, isn't that the film with Oliver Reed? <laughs> he's and, nude on an island. With, with what's her name? I can't remember. Yeah, and he's nude on that island. No, it's not that Castaway. This is the Tom Hanks one. <laughs> mm. uh, Tom Hanks nude on that island. Yeah. Uh, number four is What Women Want. Right. Oh, is that the Mel Gibson? Yeah, that's Mel Gibbons. Number five is Disney's Dinosaur. Which was a huge hit at the time, but I don't think has lasted in, in terms of their I, I, legacy. I, I saw that on a list when I was trying to remember what came out, and I didn't remember it at all. Yeah. Uh, number six, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Number seven, Meet the Parents. Mm. Number eight, The Perfect Storm. Mm. And number nine, the first X-Men movie. Oh, yeah. I don't like the X-Men movies particularly. No, the first one's all right. They they they, they get worse as they go along, I think. I just most. don't like the way they're produced and directed. Yeah. It's just, I don't know quite why, because I do like superhero films and things. But uh, Number 10 was What Lies Beneath. Yeah, so... Fairly underwhelming. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, Gladiator, Castaway, those are very big films of sort of big legacy films, aren't they? Mm, yeah. And Mission Impossible Two, obviously part of a huge franchise now. Yeah, I know. I, I, I remember Gladiator coming out. That was like. It's not really been a big historical epic like that for a long, long, long time. I've never seen it, really. Yeah, I've saw it a long time ago. Um, It's quite good. You know, know, for like a big blockbuster like that, it's... Yeah. I think fantasy epics have basically taken over from Mm. historical epics, haven't they? Uh You know, so what happens with... We get ultimately to Lord of the Rings and that changes what people are making in terms of historical air quotes... Type thing. That's true. These things when when was the Lord of the Rings first Lord of the Rings out? Two thousand and one, I think, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Was there? Uh, did I see that? Was there maybe the Dungeons and Dragons film in two thousand? Yes, which I have seen. Um, it's a dreadful. <laughs> it features Jeremy Irons with his hair combed exactly as it is in every film he's in. Tremendous. What a film of the uh, the cartoon? No, of the Sadly board not. game. Oh, or not right. the board game, the you know the role playing game. Oh, right. So would have been fun if it had been a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Who do you cast for the uh, that little dungeon master pops out from everywhere? Yeah. Who do you cast as Venger with his one horn? Oh, he was quite scary though, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, look, we can't go back to the eighties and Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yeah, there was a couple other I mentioned, like Memento, good film. Oh, oh that was very yeah. good. Was yeah. good yeah. Chopper, the remake of Bedazzled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the original Bedazzled. Uh, Battle Royale, mm. good film. Yeah. Uh, Godzilla versus Megaguirus. <laughs> Haven't seen that one. I don't think. No, me either. But I'm sure, uh, it's a corker though. Billy Elliot. Yes, as I said before, quite difficult to believe. That must have been one of the highest-grossing British uh-huh. films, but it certainly didn't seem to be in the. You know, international. Yeah, the lad who's in that. I still think if you'd ask me how old he is, I'd, I'd be like, he's about. 25 by now. Yeah. <laughs> he's like probably like 40, isn't he? Yeah. It's probably like the same, same age as us. Ridiculous. Yeah, so anyway, there you go. That's the cinematic landscape. And again, we'll tell you our choices of film when we, when oh, we get around to that. I've forgotten already. <laughs> um, uh, I'm genuinely out. I've, I've only got a couple of bits for TV because we're reaching the point. In the UK, we only had four channels for a very long time. Then we had five channels. But some people had some satellite at 2000, in the year 2000, it's still not super common that we had to have masses of channels in the home, was it really? No, this is true. So it is weird, though, because when you look through the listing of like the debuts, there is now loads, but it, you would have had to pay to yeah. have seen a lot of these things on whatever service you, you had before we were all sort of multi-channel. So, I mean, in the UK, the things I've picked out from the year 2000 is the BBC adaptation of Gormenghast, mm. which I'd like to see again. Um, I think is pretty good. But it's very, very dark, and all the sort of copies you get on VHS or if you've looked at it online are just almost dark to the point of unwatchable. Everyone was very excited about it at the time. I didn't know anything about it. I've still never read it, but... The Gormenghast book's great. But, um, yeah, so that that happened. Um, Rebus starts. So the adaptation of the Ian Rankin Rebus novels starts. The first season having John Hanna playing Rebus, which doesn't really work... No, um, he doesn't come across in sufficiently loose canony yeah. as um, what's-his-face does. Yeah, well, Ken Stott takes over later and um, is, yeah, is brilliant. And, you know, we know Ian Rankin is a, a McBain fan as well. He's met him and talked to him. Um, 
and I would like to talk to Ian on this podcast at some point. I must try and do it. I, I've got a slight in. <laughs> Our pal James Nocte, who I interviewed, knows him oh, very well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, you'll notice in uh, the 87th Precinct books, there is a police plaza called Rankin Plaza, and I'm sure that's a nod to, mm. to Ian Rankin being a successful crime writer. Cool. But yeah, the Rebus adaptations start, which I think at the time... Uh, Ian Rankin wasn't interested in TV adaptation, so he personally, as an author, was just totally hands-off with that stuff. I think nowadays he's a bit more involved in those sorts of things. The weakest link starts... Oh, God. Starting that trend of quite nasty game shows. Who's still going? Don't know. Is it, it's I probably gone I... away and come back again, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's been on for a while, but it, it was a, a mainstay for a, a good many years, wasn't it? Yeah, rubbish. A load of rubbish. Yeah. What was wrong with 15 to 1? That's what I said. Yeah. That was probably canned in about the year 2000, a bit. Yeah. William G. Stewart's life went Uh down the tubes. (laughs) Uh, But also there was the remake, or rather the new version of Randall and Hopkirk Deceased. Oh, yeah. Starring Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer, who I've talked about on this podcast before. Bob Mortimer's just put his um, autobiography out in which he talks about how much they hated making it and how much they felt like they were bad actors. And and so basically everyone involved with this remake of this fantastic 60s show has disowned it, essentially. But I love it. I loved it at the time and I love it now. Oh. I must admit, I've not seen it for a long, long time, but I don't think I've got any strong memories of it either way, really. Yeah, it's, it's great with two of my favourite comedians in it, you know. Yeah, they can't really act, but it's <laughs> that's not what you watch Vic and Bob for. No, quite. And in terms of American TV, the things I've noted down are CSI starts, oh. which obviously turns into a huge CSI everywhere type thing. CSI Des Moines. Um, <laughs> Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, yeah. Which came over here and then was like, oh, what's on TV while you're eating your tea? Oh, it's Malcolm in the Middle again. <laughs> uh, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay, I mean, yeah. it doesn't feel like that was that long ago either. Yeah, so those are just noted down those ones there, really. So, yeah, there's just almost too much to choose from. Um, so there's a little selection yeah. of TV things there. So let's get on to our own picks, shall we? I and so. I will come to Morgan first. What have you brought us in terms of a film and of an album from the year 2000? Oh, okay, um, yeah, film-wise, I, I, I did, it did seem like fairly... It wasn't the, yeah, it wasn't the most exciting year, but there were a few a few things that stood out when I was looking over the uh, lists. Uh, I think I'm going to pick um, Cecil B. Demented. Oh, right. The, the John Waters movie, which I haven't seen for years, actually, but I think we saw it in the cinema when it came out. You, oh, sorry, I've taken my glasses off there. Are you looking at me? <laughs> yeah. Did, 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 I've definitely seen John yeah. Waters' films at the cinema, yeah, I think the it was person the, I'm most likely to have ever gone with would be. Yeah, you. I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, sorry, with um, it's it did not particularly well regarded by critics, but I thought it was great. Um, What's it about? It's it stars Melanie Griffith as a, a Hollywood A-lister who is kidnapped by some cinematic terrorists, <laughs> <laughs> um, and hijinks ensue. That's so very John Waters. Uh, yeah, it's it's very John Waters. It's it's less restrained than I think a lot of his films sort of leading up to that had been. It's a lot more in the vein of his kind of like nastier seventies work. Yeah. Really. Um which I think is probably why critics didn't like it. It's like oh this this is a complete shambles, but I, I, I think it's great. Well, that's what a lot of, yeah, that's what a lot of people like for the John Waters. Yeah, stuff. it's tremendous. 
All right, cool. Great fun, well worth a look. And and actually, like, a, a really good cast, I think, too, uh, from what I recall. Yeah, just people who obviously having a really great time doing something totally different to what they'd normally do. Yeah, so. I can imagine it's very appealing as a sort of alternative for someone like Melanie Griffiths <laughs> yeah. like that to do something quite freeing. Yeah, I think so. And so then what do you bring us for an album? Uh, Album-wise, I... He said suspecting you might have picked the same thing as me, but who knows? Oh, well, who who knows? knows? Album-wise, I decided I was going to... I'm quite glad you picked me first, because you never know. I I can always... uh, I avoid (laughs) tripping over uh, anyone else because I get to go first. I went for um, um, Furnace Room Lullaby by Nico Case and Her Boyfriends. Well, no, I didn't choose that one. There there we go. go. That's good good stuff. So what's, what's that all about, then? Uh, well, um, I was uh, alerted to this by our our good friend uh, Lou Hammond, who I think heard heard her on uh, the John Peel show, as yes. as was a thing in those days. Um, yeah, Nico Case, um, who started out as a drummer in a, a bunch of sort of um, assorted like Canadian punk and indie rock kind of bands, and then in the midst of that, started a solo career as a country singer. Yes. Um, so just really great, um, kind of classic sounding, but also a little bit modern, kind of like, I, I think I've heard it described as, as country noir. Uh, mm. So like slightly kind of cinematic, kind of eerie atmosphere to some of it as well. Um, but just, yeah, loads of great throwbacks to kind of like the classic, era of um pre garth brooks kind of yeah. country it's 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 great she's got a great voice Luke, okay yeah tremendous voice and then she's obviously gone on to like less kind of specifically country more kind of wide-ranging americana kind of stuff which is yeah. is still fantastic to this day yes you mentioned our our old pal uh, louise hanman there who mm-hmm. we we obviously lived with for a while and we're in bands with so we were in a band called three minute margin where she was the drummer and then you, briefly me, were in a band called Flamingo 50, where you were the drummer and she was the <laughs> front person. And Louise has just started a new band now, hasn't she? After years of other successful bands. Yeah. She lives in America. What's it called, the new one? Uh, well, All The Way Lou. It, it, it's, it's actually, I think the record is just a solo project. I think she plays everything on it. But I think there's oh, a... Talented swine. I know. But uh, then th- there is going to be a touring version. I'm not sure who's going to be in that yet, but I'm looking forward to finding out. So this is a... Uh, call out to all our American listeners is if you see All Away Lou touring near you, go and see her and go up to her and go, I listened to a podcast about a specific <laughs> series of police procedural books done by two people you used to live with. <laughs> um, yes, please do do that. That would be good because I can't imagine how much she would <laughs> dislike that. <laughs> I think you should guess the people who were doing the podcast. Uh, well, I'm sure she... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> She's probably far and away the most successful out of all of us who did music at that time, isn't she? More or less, I'd have thought. I would say so. Yeah. Go on then, steve What's your pick for films and music in whatever order you choose? All right, okay. Uh, well, what shall I do? Uh, music first. Uh, I, I must admit I'd forgotten to, to do this, so I had a bit of a look first. And so I went for uh, The Software Slump by Grandaddy. Which, oh, uh, a much favoured band of mine that don't have very many albums really, and uh, you spend decades releasing one, and now have pretty much packed up. But that was oh. a slight breakthrough album for them. I seem to remember. So like electronic kind of indie kind of 
one bloke playing all the instruments <laughs> just about. Even though they were a band, uh, Jason Little kind of totally dominated them, really. So they were always a bit slightly peculiar, I think. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, much to be recommended, I think. Nice. And then uh, film-wise, so I think I'm going to give a, give a great commendation to Best in Show. Yay. Uh, which is a very, very, very silly and very, very funny film. That's completely about that. About the world of dog contests. Great choice. Yep. But I think none that maybe a better film, but I remember going to the cinema to see it, um, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and I've not really ever seen a film quite like it. And it ushered in an era of Asian cinema kind of... On a world stage. Making big books at the cinema. Now, if you watch it dubbed, it's absolutely awful and practically unwatchable. As is often the case. It's certainly really effective on the big screen, like uh, subtitles, that I do remember. Yeah, I've never seen it, but it's 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 had a massive lasting legacy. I mean, yeah. it's, we're in the year where they've rele- the Marvel have released uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, mm. which clearly owes a debt to it. Absolutely. Along when they... The Particularly when they, they they go to the um the the, the village and all yes. the fight sequences there are very much in that kind of classic sort of uh, style, aren't they, with the wire work and everything? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, yeah, it was visually great, like uh, like really windy. You know, lots of you know when you're out, lots of outdoors, lots of. Mm. Yeah, I must watch Noise. it somewhere. Yeah. So whether furious. I've not seen it for quite some years now, so whether it. It now looks a bit dated. Would be quite interesting I, to see, I but feel like it, it would probably stand up really well because yeah. the House of Flying Daggers was one that was done a few years after, which I have seen since and holds up well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. I think I'll go with that. So either I think uh, that's a good recommendation. Yeah. Well, um, in this case, in this case, in that case, <laughs> I will do my uh, recommendations. And we've only slightly stepped on each other's toes, uh, Steve-O, because my movie recommendation was going to be Best in Show. Oh, right. Okay, well. Because, uh, and if you're a fan of Spinal Tap, you'll know the sort of the Christopher Guest improvised mockumentary style. And I think I probably prefer it to Spinal Tap, Best in Show. Yeah, it's... it's, uh, it's I can re-watch sweeter. it more often, I think, because... The absolute funniest guy in that is, what's his name, uh, Willard. Uh, Fred, Willard. Fred Willard. Oh, my That's God, amazing. he is absolutely amazing in that film. Yeah. He is so sick. <laughs> yeah, it is brilliant. It's there's, The naming nuts sequence is, is, <laughs> is worth the price of admission alone. I mean, you know what you're getting with those sorts mm. of things, but the, the casts and people that he brings in are so good and the techniques they use for making those films are so good that it's rarely been a misstep. Mm. Uh, Lorraine and I were discussing the film Mascots the other day, which I think was the one misstep, but it's sort of not very well-known one. Yeah, and so I've not watched that. doesn't really work in such an effective mm. way. But Best in Show is an absolute corker. Um, yeah. And, and so my music choice is, and this is what I thought you would choose, Morgan, is All Hands on the Bad One by Slater Kinney. Yeah, it, it, was, it was on the list, but I, I thought, man, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm quite glad I didn't then. That's good. So, again, hugely influential on, on a bunch of us, particularly our friend Louise. Um, but it is a phenomenal album. I go back to it time and time again. Yeah. Uh, all, all hands on the bad one. It's 
It's got four or five of the best songs I've ever written on it, yes. as well as a couple of other storming album tracks. Absolute corker. I think I saw him live like three times that year, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Was... We definitely saw two gigs, and I think I saw them at Reading Festival as we well. We saw them in Manchester. Yes. We saw them in Leeds. Leeds. In two venues that don't exist anymore, yes, in fact. Isn't... That's right, the Roadhouse and um, the, the Cockpit. cockpit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah and if you go and see Slater Kinney these days, you're going to go and see them in huge venues. Yeah. And they're a seven piece. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to the yeah, the noisy uh, three piece that they were in the basement in a little place in Manchester when we saw them that year. But yeah, it's just a phenomenal album from yeah, a phenomenal band. Terrific. At the, you know, peak of their powers at the time, I think. Yeah. It, actually, yeah, Nico Case, if you go and see her now, you, it'll, if you go and see her in Manchester, it'll be the Bridgewater Hall or whatever. And yes. I think... The, the year after this, maybe me and Lou went and saw her in um, uh, the Night and Day Cafe, which is it's about quite the size <laughs> of the room we're in <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> no, that's about right. Yeah. Great. Well, there we go. That's the year 2000 taken care of. We can now move forward into the uh, shiny futuristic 21st century as the next book, Money, 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 comes out in the uh, the year 2001. Of, of 2001 A Space Odyssey fame, mm-hmm. uh, which suggests that we would have all been getting Pan Am shuttles up to space stations and things like that. I know I was. Yes, indeed. Briefly. But yes, otherwise, that is us for this bonus episode. Um, Thank you for indulging us while we get all (laughs) fuzzy and nostalgic and silly about these things. But, you know, life's hard. We need an outlet, really, don't we? So anyway, I'm going to say au revoir, au revoir. Steve-O's going to say goodbye. And Morgan will say... Fairly well. 